So just an update, as of 5 minutes ago and 6 hours before the publishing schedule, we recently found out that not only Ted Cruz dropped out of the presidential race, but also John Kasich. Making our summary of who are the presidential candidates on the Republican field somewhat out of date, but I think it's important to know who these candidates were and what they thought. So here's to it. Welcome to the fifth episode of Dialogica. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Swedian. And this week we're going to talk about the U.S. elections. In particular, we're going to give you a brief rundown on who the candidates are, what they believe in, and how they differ or not from each other. As non-Americans who don't have a vote, a vote uh, our particular interests in our discussion will be around their stances uh, regarding foreign policy. And we're also just going to shortly talk about how um, the U.S. presidential elections differs than the Indonesian presidential elections, and just go into that detail because we're political nerds who studied politics in university. First, we're going to briefly talk about the five candidates still in the running today. So we're going to start with the Democratic Party. We have Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Yes, uh, and Hillary Clinton is the former Secretary of State under President Obama. She is also a former U.S. Senator for New York and the wife of President Bill Clinton. The other candidate for the Democratic Party is Bernie Sanders, all a matter of the university that I went to. And he... Chicago! And we... (laughs) And he has been a Vermont Senator for more than 25 years. And he's best known for hashtag feel the burn. And he's technically an independent, but for this race, he's running uh, under the Democratic ticket. Yep, he's most known to become a Democratic Socialist. So the idea that he wants universal health care and free education is very much his thing. Mm -hmm. On the Republican side, we have the good old Donald Trump. Donald J. Trump. Yes. Uh, Not good. By good, we mean terrible and bad and gross. A lot of grossness. Uh, He's... Not a politician. He's a quote-unquote businessman. Also, reality TV star, just like the Kardashians. Yes, he's famous for The, the Apprentice. And the word, you're fired. Mm-hmm. He's also known to be really rich, even though he, like, I think he estimated his brand to be, like, several hundred millions dollars worth. And actually, he inherited a lot of money from his dad. Mm-hmm. And if you if he just put his inheritance in an S&P 500, he would be wealthier than he is now. So, so, yeah. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is a senator from Texas. His background is actually in law, and he was a solicitor general. Ted Cruz was born to Cuban parents who immigrated to the United States from Cuba as refugees. But he's technically born in Canada, in Calgary. So he has dual citizenship when he was growing up, Canadian-American. And conveniently, he gave up his Canadian citizenship a year before he decided to run for president. Convenient. On the issues, Ted Cruz is very evangelical Christian. And as a good Republican, he doesn't believe in uh, access to reproductive health. And doesn't believe in abortion. Doesn't believe in gun control. Doesn't doesn't believe believe in in not being a racist prick. Yes, he just says it better than Donald Trump. And finally, to the guy who we're still all wondering why he's still in this race, 
John Kasich. Who was a two-term governor, and still is, of Ohio. A swing state, which means that every time the election cycle comes around, Ohio can either swing towards the Democrats or swing towards the Republicans. It's not a state that's traditionally one way or the other. In terms of the three Republican candidates, arguably John Kasich has the most legislative experience. He passed a lot of bills as governor. And he's really posing himself as a moderate. He uh, passed Obamacare in his term in office, even though actually he's pretty much aligned with Donald Trump and Ted Cruz in terms of the other policies. Pretty much he's the Republican establishment candidate left, hoping for a brokered convention or a vice presidential nod, I think. And so those are the people who are still in the running to become the next U.S. president. Yeah, so just a little bit of information on the differences between the Democrats and the Republicans for those who are not um, that familiar with the topic. So Republicans generally believe in smaller government in their aspect of business. So less taxes, more conservative on how the country spends their budget, less benefits for people. And so on that matter, what's important now is Obamacare or health care and whether or not to fund that. So most Republicans and all the Republican candidates don't agree with Obamacare. Mm -hmm. They also don't agree about raising the minimum wage, which in in the U.S. varies, but usually it's around $8, and now they want to raise it to $15. Besides that, they're usually more conservative on the issues in their religious and moral sense. So most Republicans usually identify themselves being Christians, and they don't believe in abortion, and they don't believe in gay marriage as a right that people should have. On the other hand, Democrats... Uh, Democrats are... um, Obviously, they lean to the left on a lot of issues. A bulk of their interest is towards providing social welfare as well as economic welfare to their citizens. They are supportive of raising the minimum wage for the most part, as well as their proponents of Obamacare, uh, providing health care for everyone, uh, regardless of your socioeconomic status. They're more liberal in general, and so they're more progressive in general, and they believe in gun control and background checks before you buy guns. Yeah, so I guess we can also talk about their foreign policy on that note, right? Yes. Um, Donald Trump's, so he promises to make America strong by making America trade more and win more in the marketplace. Essentially make America the richest country in the world, and therefore, ergo, the most powerful in his mind. Yeah, he actually doesn't really believe in necessarily intervening for moral or humanitarian purposes. So in that sense, depending on how you view America's intervention, that can be a positive or a negative thing. Yeah. But um, I, I think, think essentially the only thing he wants to especially do is like carpet bomb the hell out of the Middle East. My thing with his stance on how he should interact, how America should interact yeah. with other countries is that it's a very an eye for an eye interaction where if mm-hmm. I pay this much, you should also yeah. give this much back. If you don't give anything back, then I'm not going to lead because I'm yeah. not getting my fair share's worth. So basically what he said about that as well, right? Like if Japan and South Korea don't pony up more money for our stoop station there, we go home. You know, Just with everything in his policy, he's a bully. Donald Mm -hmm. Trump is a huge bully. Yeah, and And, he thinks he can wave the money around and command people. 
And like, make it rain. for example, yeah, I was doing the make it rain motion in person. But for example, you know, having Mexico build the wall, he's like, how are you going to do that? It costs so much money. Yeah. Also, like, how would you be ever able to ask another sovereign nation to build up something for on so, your behalf? So basically his thing is like, we're going to um, stop remittance payments. Yeah. Um, so remittance payment is basically the money from, in this case, Mexican workers working in the U.S. They send their money back to their family in Mexico through, you know, Western Union, through banks, and through physical forms. So like, mm-hmm. that's people's personal private money that he's threatening to stop the flow of. Right? Yeah. You can't do that logistically, constitutionally, legally, and all these other practically as well Mm -hmm. right so and what's also interesting is that many people have tried to ask him to clarify the numbers that would back up his policies and his ideas and he can't really back them up you know so that's the crazy thing he seems to say these things that when you really dig deeper there's nothing to ground them yeah along the same lines of the fact that he wants to deal with the world as if it's a whole big financial market. What's scary about Trump is that instead of seeing America's position as somebody who can leverage the situation against Russia, against Mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin, he thinks of him as a potentially great ally because he also doesn't care about... I mean, he's pragmatic, right? So basically, like, there was a thing. um, Like, so they asked which G20 country leaders besides um, the U.S., who do you want to be as president? And nobody said anybody from the Republican side. Everyone's either Hills or Burns. Exactly. And so that's interesting, right, to hear it from other leaders who have no say in this, but they don't want to interact with any of the Republicans, let's be honest. I mean, okay, Ted Cruz. He's, I guess he's, in terms of getting things done militaristically, is -hmm. the most scary of the options. Why? Because he actually thinks that America's power, military power, would get everything done. Yeah, he really wants to, you know, get out there and have America become the world's number one superpower, even if at the risk of just doing it all alone, right? Yeah. He's just like, I'm... He's sort of like a cowboy. He, he's just like, uh, I don't so, care about NATO. I don't care about the UN. I don't care about like, any progress we've made with Iran and with other uh, countries. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to tear it all up because we need to show... America's force again in the world. Yeah. Similar like Donald Trump, he thinks that the only way to defeat ISIS, mm-hmm. um, Islamic State, bom, is bom, bom. basically just like carpet bombing the whole place. And you cannot do that without any, you know, without any coherent logic behind it. You can't yeah. just say these kind of things. Yeah. actually also really differ on their foreign policy so Hillary is more similar to the Republican side in the sense that she really believes that um, the U.S. has a big role to play in uh, geopolitics and the world so in fact um, she was the spearhead of that for her during her time as Secretary of State yeah so she's I think this is the one place where I feel really uncomfortable with Hillary right you know so she as a Secretary of State really pushed for the U.S. intervention in Libya just really, you know, um, trying to get the U.S. to topple le- the leadership there and really support the rebels there. I don't really have necessarily a problem with intervention. Sh- okay, I kind of do. I just really feel uncomfortable with the fact that America takes itself as a, the world police. And sometimes when they do that, 
you know, they can cloud it in terms of like moral interventionism. But, you know, when when Rwanda happened, they didn't, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't intervene. So it sometimes to me seems very disingenuous. And um, well, there's the problem, right? Like in the Rwanda crisis, they yeah. didn't intervene and they got a lot of flack for it. Yeah. Uh, in this one, they did, and they also got a lot of flack for I it. I mean, I just feel really skeptical when the U.S. is in the Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, surely it is a mess, and they've cr- partly created it. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, but they're also, you know, not really... They're not really fighting Boko Haram in Nigeria or really intervening with all of the other various African conflicts as well. Mm-hmm. The fact that there's a lot of economic interest in the Middle East mm-hmm. makes me really skeptical of U.S. intervention in the world. Especially right now, if we step out of the Libya question, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about how the U.S. is trying to fight ISIS. Mm-hmm. And part of it is, even though it's a tenuous and not necessarily desired alliance, but mm-hmm. they are kind of aligned with Syria, yeah, with Bashar al-Assad yeah. and with Russia. So it's just like, how are you going to intervene? That's yeah. another huge question, That's right? That's the big question. And a lot of Hillary's recommendations as Secretary of State mm-hmm. was tempered by Obama's more pra- pragmatic, yeah. more moderate, more realistic approach to mm-hmm. foreign policy. Yeah. So even though Libya did happen, the intervention did happen, recently somebody asked, like, what was your biggest regret to mm-hmm. President Obama? And mm-hmm. he said Libya was my biggest yeah, regret. Yeah, he, he regretted being involved in it. He all. regretted being involved in it. You do wonder that if Hillary becomes president, there'll be nobody else to temper that kind of approach Yeah. Um, towards intervening. And I mean, I think I might be a little bit more forgiving than mm-hmm. you are in yeah. terms of allowing American intervention. But I do agree that this idea of America as a global police needs to go away. Yeah. It's just like, it's a stupid idea. Yeah, I mean, like, well, I don't understand is whenever they're like, oh, we don't have so much money, we don't have so much money, like, to fund education, all this stuff. Literally, you can just cut parts of the military. Yeah, and the defense budget is ridiculous. it will not ridiculous. change anything. You still have mm-hmm. your nuclear warheads. So it's, just chill. Yeah. yeah. Part of my source speculation is, like, say, one of the biggest um, sources of tension yeah. in Asia right now is the claims over the South China Sea yeah. islands mm-hmm. between... China, Taiwan, Philippines, and Indonesia is kind of sort of like around the periphery, not necessarily yeah. involved, but mm-hmm. being asked to be there just in case. Yeah. I wonder, like right now, Obama doesn't want to get in on that yeah. for good reasons. I wonder if Hillary, as a, a more might, interventionist kind is, of president... She might want to assert U.S. authority more into that as well. And that's a... Uh, we don't need more cooks in the kitchen. It's yeah. already tenuous it's enough. Already it enough is. It's kind of scary. So. Um, so on the opposite side, Bernie Sanders is more of a huge pacifist. Mm-hmm. He wants the U.S. to focus on, you know, free college education, um, more extended like universal health care, and just basically have U.S. taxpayer dollars for the U.S. His model is almost like Scandinavian model of yeah. socialism, where you where you work on benefiting mm-hmm. your own citizens first, and mm-hmm. you care less about your position in the global game. Yeah. And in Bernie in particular, right, whenever anybody tries to press him uh, about foreign policy, he mm-hmm. usually spins it back to domestic policy because that's genuinely, I think, yeah. is his approach. It's like we don't need to worry about foreign policy so much. We need to get our home, our stuff together. Our home issues better together. Yeah. So if you see all of these things, right, you see that Bernie on one side is the... It's more similar to Donald Trump in this, no? Well, no, because Donald Trump, I think, is he's, off, is, he's off on his own world. But I think in terms of <laughs> spectrum of how involved you want to be yeah. for America to be in the global game, mm-hmm. Bernie is on the let's not get involved at all, mm-hmm. 
We've got Ted Cruz who wants to be involved in everything, in every way, in his <laughs> in, way. And we've got Hillary who's, who's in the middle, right? Uh, probably a little bit more towards getting more involved, but yeah. not necessarily as much as Ted Cruz wants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Donald Trump who's over on the... I don't really understand what he wants and what he's going to do. I feel he's going to be a very reactionary president, right? I, sometimes I also feel like, oh great, he's going to interact with the G20 leaders like it's an episode of The Apprentice. Oh my like, gosh. guys, pitch to me your ideas, and then I'll tell you if we're good or not. <laughs> That's totally going to be how he does gonna it. He's going to be, like, talking to Jokowi, be like, you're fired. Exactly. And then Jokowi be, be like, like, what? what? I'm a much better businessman than you are. Let's be real here. <laughs> but yeah, so how the U.S. elections work. Sweden, as someone who works in for the Democratic Party, do you want to take a stab at this? All right, to begin with, right, the U.S. have 50 states, and each state has um, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party that's local to that state. And each of them are going to have an election for the citizens of that state to choose their candidate. Uh, what's interesting during the primary system is that the final vote for each state is translated into the number of delegates that are legally obligated to vote for that candidate come the national conventions in the summer where the parties ultimately decide who the party's nominated candidate will be. There's closed primaries, there's open primaries. In terms of open and closed primaries, what that means is that in an open primary, anybody can vote in these primaries. You don't have to be registered Republican or registered Democrat. That's uh, when, uh, when it's a closed primary, you have to be a registered member of that party in order to vote. So, and then some, in some primaries, it's a winner-takes-all kind of primary. So the winner of that state takes all of the delegates. So it doesn't matter if it's a very close election. Yeah. If you get uh, just even 1% more or even one vote more, you get all of the delegates in that state. And the second place gets nothing. Yeah. Uh, in Indonesia, it's, it's actually popular a, vote. It's a so, popular vote. So we directly vote for the president in Indonesia's case. However, that process, just to remind some of our listeners or introduce to our listeners, and the president election is decided based first on the parliamentary elections. In the parliamentary elections, we decide who's going to win DPR and MPR and how many percent these parties are allocated. So there's the parliamentary threshold, right? Just to get into parliament is two and a half percent. And then to be able to nominate uh, somebody for the presidency, you need to have at least 20 percent. And very few, if ever, any party has 20 percent of the parliament. So that's interesting, the need for coalitions to happen in parliament in order to be able to nominate uh, the president and mm-hmm. vice president. But I guess what's interesting here is... Um, the popular vote, I think, is a positive thing that, you know, it's not based on some weird electoral college. It's easy, a lot easier for people to understand. And the election process isn't that long as the U.S. presidential politics. And so you're not bogged down by constant coverage of elections to the point where, like, I don't even care anymore. I don't want to vote for anyone, <laughs> which is, I think, a lot of what's happening in the States right now. But I mean, one positive thing about, you know, having a two party system in the U.S., it's very clear where people stand on the issues, right? Whereas the coalition in Indonesian parliamentary politics is, I don't really know the essential differences between um, Prabowo's faction and Jokowi's faction in terms of policy, right? And where they stand on different issues. Because they're a product of coalitions, they're, they can't really stand too ideologically towards one side. 
there's always the negotiation of power dynamics happening in government. Which Especially, is always everywhere. Yeah. In Indonesia's case, because we are a multi-party government, we see sort of these negotiations happening a lot more explicitly, or at least talked about a lot more explicitly than in the States, where there's only two big parties, and they're so concentrated on the ideological representation of their parties that they for, almost forget how to make a deal or how to compromise or how to cross the aisle to talk to the opposition in order to get mm-hmm. a bill passed. Mm-hmm. Here, for better or for worse, people are trying to do that a little bit more. Whether it actually happens is a different question entirely, but at least the motivation to create compromise, to talk to people, exists a little bit more here, I feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe that's just a naive, optimistic uh, individual in me tired of U.S. um, congressional stupidity. I think for us, regardless of who becomes president, it really matters because you you can say it's a very U.S.-centric thing and it's an American president, but since the U.S. is a global superpower and they do kind of an interventionist government that we should, as an international community, talk and think about it as well. Mm And that's it for our episode on the U.S. election. Thank you guys so much for listening. And credits as usual to Brooke Murphy, Jazzart, and Ryan Little. Please visit our website at dialogica.id for resources and links, as well as our previous episodes. Yeah, there have been some pretty good ones, I think. So give us a listen. And follow us and like us on Facebook and Instagram. And subscribe to us on the Apple uh, Podcast app or at Dialogica Podcast. Cool. We'll catch you next time. Bye.